And our scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2, the first 11 verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any, com- if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, Today, we think about the neighborly heart that the Holy Spirit is building, is forming, is shaping in you and me. The Holy Spirit is active among us, making us people who look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. When you follow Jesus, this is something that is true of you. That you are looking not only to your own interests, and that's, that's good, look after your family, look after yourself, but you're also looking after the interests of others. You are growing in an outward focus, an otherward focus. You're growing in empathy. You're growing in, in compassion. You're growing in, in generosity. You're growing in service. You are growing a servant heart that makes you a good neighbor. That's how Jesus is forming us to be in this world. I grew up on Vancouver Island in an immigrant community. My parents came from the Netherlands after the Second World War, and they soon connected with the many others who had done the same thing and wound up on Vancouver Island in Victoria. And soon they formed a church And they worshiped together, and they told the story of Jesus to their children and and taught catechism and and became a community together. And they helped each other survive in the new land. That was part of it. It's that, you know, we're all here, we've all left something behind, and we've all come, and we don't know exactly what's going on, and and let's help each other. And, And they grew up 
and, and, or they grew together, and they, and they found jobs for each other, and they, they shared food from their huge gardens, and they passed on used clothing, and they helped each other deal with homesickness, and gave rides, and, and visited, and developed a close-knit community with, with each other. They looked out for each other. That, that's my experience. Uh, I, I knew that wherever I went, and I, I met somebody from our church, they knew who I was, and they they kind of watched out for me. They, they looked out for me, and I, I kind of did the same thing for, for others. They were, we were all together. We had each other's backs. And those immigrant years are, are long gone, and those folks and the many like them across Canada have become well-established in the land, in this beautiful land of Canada that we're celebrating this, week, this weekend. And yet that immigrant experience was formative for me and giving me a picture of what church life is like. As Christians, we look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. We look out for each other and for the people who are around us, not just in church, but everywhere, in our neighborhoods, in, 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 our, in our companies, and in our workplaces. And we just, that's the way we're wired as Christians. It's, just, it's not just me and mine. I'm part of a community where I need you and you need me and we're better together. And as a pastor, I get to see how this is lived out in churches, in the churches that I've served. And I've seen, I've seen this lived out decades after the immigration years. I have a friend who grew up in one of those immigrant churches and he's now a, a lawyer and he's also a, a foodie and he likes... He likes food. He likes to cook it. He likes to buy it. He likes everything about food. And his church welcomed a refugee family into its fellowship, and they needed, that family needed help to become Canadian citizens. They, they needed help with, you know, the application process and, and with, you know, the, the testing and, and all, the, all the things that go on. He wasn't an immigration lawyer, but he knew enough about the law to kind of help them advise them through the process. And it, they said, well, what can we do? You know, how can, how can we pay you? He said, well, tell you what. Um, if you teach me how to cook Burmese food, uh, then we're good. We're, we're fine. You know, these, these people, they, just, they didn't need just a help with a process to get Canadian citizenship. They needed relationship. They needed friends. And so my friend, the lawyer, he... He learned how to cook Burmese food, and our Burmese refugees got Canadian passports. They were so proud. And when they got their passports, they celebrated a big meal uh, with a big meal, and they celebrated the milestone achievement. And of course, my friend was there, and he knew exactly what we were eating. But more importantly, they now had friends, and they now felt a little bit more established in the land. They felt Somebody had their back. And my friend continues to do this kind of thing. Because when he grew up in that immigrant church, that's what they did. That's his experience. He had people looking after him, and now he helps others and, looks, and helps look after them. And recently, our refugee support team here at Community CRC organized to sponsor a refugee we didn't know where they were going to come from, but we were going to sponsor them because refugees have great need. And we had to raise $40,000 in advance before we could get the family here. 
So we put out the special offering bucket, the third one, and in the past few months, and people com- contributed. And, you know, two of our, our elementary brothers or sisters here, um, they said, we're going to help whatever way we can. And they had a lemonade stand a few months ago or a month or two ago, and they um, raised $200 just to, yes. Somewhere embedded in our DNA as a church, as Christian Reformed people, we have the sense that we can help people who are new to the country. Many of us have been blessed with many of life's good things, and we get to enjoy a lifestyle of abundance. We really do. And yet, deep within us, we know that we are blessed to be a blessing. And that life goes better when you do life together and look out for the interests of other people. And this helps us all thrive. And and some of us get to learn a new cuisine along the way and grow richer in relationships. And I can't be wearing this shirt without quoting Mr. Rogers, and I think he was right on when he said, what matters in this life is more than winning winning for ourselves. What really matters is helping others win too even if it means slowing down and changing our course now and then. What matters in life is not winning everything, looking out for our own interests, me and mine, and I'm going to get while the getting's good. What matters in life is helping others win too, looking out for their interests. And when we do this, we are living out the servant heart of Jesus. In our passage, our passage is a monumental passage in Scripture. Our passage is, if, if you ever want to get a tattoo of a Bible passage on your, I won't do that, but um, if, if you do, get this one. This is the one. This, is, this one is the heart of the gospel, the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. And, and our passage reveals the neighborly heart of God. Your attitude should be the same as, Je- as that of Jesus Christ, who being the very, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And there's something compelling about Jesus here, something that, that just draws us to him. Jesus, in his heavenly pre-existent state, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. And the compelling part of this is when you ask yourself, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus not consider? Why would Jesus empty himself and become nothing and become a, a servant? You know, an answer, a good answer would be, well, we had need. We needed somebody to do that for us. We needed God to become human so that we could have our sins paid for. Another good answer is, we had such worth. We were worth emptying for. But we're not mentioned in this passage. Why did Jesus do this emptying? Because he considered being equal with God. What, but that's, because that's what he considered, being equal with God, means. That's what God does. You know, too often we understand this passage, something like Superman, you know. Although 
in spite of the fact that he was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. He, he became mild-mannered Clark Kent. And that makes perfect sense. Jesus became human in spite of the fact that he was God. But there's a, there's a more profound meaning here. Because you take the word being at the beginning of our passage as expressing the cause of his actions. Because he was God, he emptied himself. So we can read our passage something like this. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus, who precisely because he was in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Jesus, in his pre-existent state, concluded that to be God is to be a, ser <coughs> a servant. Therefore, he isn't giving anything up when he empties himself. He doesn't give up the form of God at all. Indeed, he's expressing who God is. He's expressing the form of God. As theologian N.T. Wright puts it, this decision was not a decision to stop being divine. It was a decision about what it really means to be divine. Jesus doesn't come as God in disguise, taking the outward form of a servant, much like Superman comes in mild-mannered Clark Kent. Not at all. He comes to reveal the, the heart of God, who God really is. And in his human form, Jesus expresses everything of, of divinity. And you look at what he expresses, being a servant. He reveals that the God that God is the eternal servant. God is the most unpreoccupied being in the universe. The triune God at the center of the universe is a divine community of divine beings given to each other in self-giving love. And that self-giving love spills over into the world of fallen humanity. We see this powerfully when Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And then he shows us what it means to be Lord. He, he bends low and washes their feet as a servant. Why? Because that's what it is to be God. That's his identity. That's what he does because it is who he is. That's what a Lord does. And if this is true of Jesus, what do you think that means for us? Those who follow Jesus, whether we serve in low places or in high places, whether we serve across the fence or across the world, when, when we serve others, we reflect God's heart, God's attitude. When we look out for the interests of our neighbor, we live into the ways that God intends for us. If we're not serving but we're advancing our own interests, we're not fully living as God shows us. And when we serve, we become fully human, even as God, as Jesus fully expresses God's nature when he became, came to earth as a servant. Jesus, Jesus totally lived this out and calls us to this. He says, love one another as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved you? Think about that. How has Jesus loved me? Well, Jesus loved me by pouring himself out by emptying himself and becoming one of us and then dying on the cross and, and paying the price for us. 
God's most gloriously loving moment was, is when he gives himself to us. And now he invites us to find our most gloriously loving moments when we serve others and give ourselves to them. You know, I, I once, to a, once went to a church seminar, <clears throat> to a visioning seminar, and the leader asked us this, what would your community lose if this church shut down? Kind of a, a, a negative way to come to a positive sense of what is it that your church does that's unique? What is it that your church does that, that builds community, that, that this, this community really needs? And think about it. What would change in the Williamsburg area if community CRC shut down? Well, in recent years, the, the Cardis Foundation has been doing research about how Canadian churches benefit their communities. And, and they used a matrix called the halo effect. The halo effect measures the social, I think it's the socioeconomic benefit that a religious congregation contributes to its local community. And, and so it, you know, we, we have new basketball courts, right, um, beside our gym. And you think, okay, neighbors can come, they can bounce a ball, they can have some fun, they don't have to, you know, rent anything, it's just free. You can just take your ball and, and just start playing basketball. There's value in that. That's part of the, the halo effect. And, and you think about the volunteer activities. People are volunteering all over the place. I've, I've been hearing, you know, people volunteer at Gleaners, people volunteer at the Perfect Fine, they volunteer at the Mission Store. They, like, they're, we are all over the place. Um, we make contributions to the food bank, there's the benevolence of the deacons, there's refugees that, that are coming here that we are raising money for, and even how we buy our kitchen supplies at the local, at the local place, and uh, our local grocery store that benefits our local grocer. And the many activities of a church that benefit a community, there's so much blessing that comes from, from a church. And, and they actually calculated this. They, they figured it out how much it is, and they calculate, um, hang on for a sec. Oh, yeah, here we go. For every dollar in an urban religious congregation spends, the local community gets an estimated $3.32 in economic benefit, which is all really good to know. Quantifying these things is good to do as we tell our story to the world. But our city probably wouldn't fall apart if they lost the $3.28 million halo benefit from our congregation. $3.28 million, that's pretty good. And yet, I think something more intangible and more important would be lost. Something of the heart of God would be lost. Some expression of the self-giving, generous heart of God, the kindness and, and the bonds of care that help us thrive would be gone. And that would diminish our community. And thankfully, we have not left the neighborhood. And here's a guy who knows how to spell neighborhood. <laughs> We're here to show the heart of God in the way we act and move among our neighbors. We're here to serve as he served and to live into his kingdom of light and truth. And the Holy Spirit is forming us so that we look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. 
And as we ordain two new elders, we remember why they're set aside within our congregation. They're here to remind us of this. They're here to remind us of who we are and what we're called to do. They're here to show us and to tell us and to admonish us and to encourage us to coax and control or and do whatever it takes to, to tell us that we are people who live out the heart of God. They don't do it for us. We don't just say, okay, you guys are set apart so you can live out that way. They're, they're within us and, and pushing us and coaxing us and encouraging us to live, it, live our life this way. They remind, they remind us and enable us to live this Christian life. They point us to the freedom we find when we live in the servant way of Jesus. We are the community who follows the one who was the true servant and who gives us real life. We are still here, living out the neighborly heart of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for revealing your heart of self-giving love to us. May we never cease to marvel at the deep love that you have for your sinful world. In Jesus, you emptied yourself and took on our nature so that we might have life. And we praise you for your Spirit's work in making us more like Jesus. May we always grow in our relationship with you, each other, and our world, expressing your great heart of love. In Jesus, amen.